of certainly now. Um, there's a lot of um, funds which track um, sustainable companies, um, whether they're index funds or active um, investment funds. Um, and you don't necessarily want to be a company that, that falls out of those indices because that can also have a significant impact on, on your valuation. So, so that's certainly the way that I see it. I see, you know, driving, one of the driving forces is from, from the client's um, side, and then the other side is, you know, investors thinking about their portfolios to make sure that from a, from a risk perspective, um, sustainability has been factored in in, in, the, in the right way. Welcome to A Planet Talks, where sustainability has a voice. We have created this space so that we uh, can discuss the most important sustainability hot topics. And for that, we interview relevant sustainability professionals from different sectors and geographies so that they can share their experience with us. Today, we are delighted to have uh, Martin Nichols from the UK as a guest with us. And to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Martin Nichols is responsible for Spanish and Portuguese clients and ESG outreach at Standard & Poor's Global Ratings. Martin started his career in 2008 at UBS Investment Bank in New York in operations before becoming senior vice president within the client coverage team at Asset Manager State Street Global Advisors in London. In his current role at S&P Global Ratings, he works with clients to help them access the sustainable finance markets, as well as communicate to their key ESG stakeholders through ESG ratings. It's a pleasure to have you here, Martin, with us today. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So I, I have a lot of questions that okay. I want to, to ask you. <coughs> and um, I want to start by, by your professional journey because you have uh, uh, an international experience in finance. You started your career in New York, you moved to London, <coughs> now you work in Madrid at uh, S&P uh, Ratings. Yep. So I wanted you to tell us a, a bit about your professional journey and how did you start working with sustainable finance? Okay, perfect. Um, so I um, so I graduated in um, two thousand and eight. Um, so uh, the year to start work was um, when I started work was September two thousand eight, which was the um, which was the uh, global financial crisis. So it wasn't the uh, the ideal um, moment to be uh, to be starting work in, in the finance uh, industry. And um, so I did what was called a um, a Mountbatten internship, which is really um, quite interesting, um, especially to, to, to maybe anybody who's listening, thinking about the next steps after after university. Um, and that was a program that ultimately enabled you to to travel, so to move from the UK to to New York, um, and start working um, in a company. Um, and for me, um, I was placed with um, with, with UBS, um, as you said, and um, started in a uh, an operations role. So I was. Um, Responsible for um, equity trade support, essentially. Um, so um, the trades that were that were that were taking place, um, I was responsible for making sure that they were allocated to to client accounts. Okay, which something that I didn't even know existed, to be honest, before um, uh, as I left university. But I think it was a it was a really interesting first role to be able to to get 
to start to get a broad understanding of, of what happens within, within an investment bank. Um, so I, I spent a year in New York. I, I wanted to move to, to London, being from the UK. So I, um, I moved back to the UK, um, stayed with UBS, and I did some other different roles across operations, um, across different products. So across derivatives, across um, uh, complex structured finance instruments, all within kind of the operations uh, part of the business. But I think that was great because it really gives you a kind of thorough understanding of what happens within, within the business. Um, I was studying the CFA. Um, so I, I did the CFA. And, and, I, and after doing that, I wanted to move into something which was a bit more um, client-facing. Client um, and so there was an opportunity with, with State Street Global Advisors in the asset management industry um, and decided to, to make the switch across. Um, and there I was responsible for, for our institutional clients, so working with our clients um, to talk to them about the different um, offerings, um, uh, funds that we manage within, within State Street Global Advisors. Um, and that was when I think the first... Um, the first sustainability type conversation, um, you know, from my perspective, um, really came about. That was when clients, especially towards the end of the time at, at State Street, clients were starting to ask a lot more about um, how we were thinking about sustainability, you know, the different fund options that we had that potentially had a sustainability angle in the investment approach or the way that we were screening um, stocks or also the corporate governance uh, perspective as well. So that was really when, 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 when I started to be more involved in sustainability. Um, I then made a fairly big move because my wife's from Spain, and so we uh, we decided to uh, to move to Madrid. Um, and so I I looked for a new a new role, and 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 S and P Global uh, ratings were were looking for somebody to be responsible for for their clients in in Spain and Portugal, um, and so. So made that change, which was again a really interesting change because I, you know, started on on the, the sell side, the investment bank, um, moved into asset management on the buy side, and then at a credit rating agency, you're kind of in between the two. So you're speaking to investors, but you're also speaking to um, to companies, um, and so it's a really unique position to to be in in the market in terms of what you hear and the conversations that you can have. Um, and really, since I joined S&P Global Ratings, the, um, a lot of the focus in the conversations with clients has been on, on the sustainability side. Maybe if you went back 10, 15 years and somebody who was responsible for, um, for clients at a credit rating agency, maybe they would not have any conversations about sustainability. Maybe um, all of the conversations would be, would be about credit. Um, but... But I can say honestly, pretty you know, ninety percent, or if not higher, of the conversations that we have with clients is um, sustainability comes up in in some form into the conversation. So ultimately, that led me to have you know more and more focus on on sustainability, um, and then um, became responsible for Southern Europe, what we do in Southern Europe from from a sustainability uh, perspective, um, and you know they really interesting conversations that we that we have with our clients it can be from a from an ESG rating perspective or sustainability rating perspective 
or it can be about how clients are looking to access the sustainable finance, uh, the sustainable debt markets. Um, and so, so, so yeah, it's, um, I'd say probably the last seven or eight years of my career have had a sustainability focus to a certain extent, but it wasn't necessarily something that I, I pushed myself towards. I think it was just the natural evolution of, of the market that someone in a finance role would suddenly start having you know a lot more involvement in sustainability, which is kind of testament to where where the markets are are right now and the interest in in, in ESG and sustainability. Mm -hmm. You have a very unique and and rich uh, professional experience because you have different perspectives of how the financial system works. And and uh, at a talks we have uh, our public varies between sustainability experts and, and professionals that are starting their sustainability journey. So can you please explain what is the relation uh, between sustainability and finance and why is sustainability risk such a key risk for, for, for investors that they have to quantify and that they have to manage? Yeah, I think it, I, in a way it goes back to some of the things that I mentioned in, in, the, in the first uh, response. Clients... Um, Clients of investors, or clients of, of, of fund managers, are putting pressure on on those funds to um, to increase their focus on on sustainability, um, and so that means that, you know, pension funds, insurance uh, funds, um, sovereign wealth funds, um, and all of the individuals that are linked to those um, to those 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 institutional investors um, are, are really driving the, the trend towards um, sustainability being, being a big factor when, when, it, when, when investors are considering um, the risks associated with, with specific companies. Um, and, and I think you know, one of the, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a significant risk for um, companies in um, you know, how they're perceived by the market um, from a sustainability perspective. Um, and so that can have a significant impact on on their valuation, um, which therefore means that it's a relevant risk factor for um, for investors to be to be considering. I think also there's a lot of certainly now um, there's a lot of um, funds which track um, sustainable companies, um, whether they're index funds or active um, investment funds. Um, And you don't necessarily want to be a company that, that falls out of those indices because that can also have a significant impact on, on your valuation. So, so that's certainly the way that I see it. I see you know, driving, one of the driving forces is from, from the client's um, side and then the other side is you know, investors thinking about their portfolios to make sure that from a, from a risk perspective, um, sustainability has been factored in in, in, the, in the right way. Mm -hmm, exactly. And that's why sustainability information is so important because it can affect, in the end, the price of a, of a, a share or a bond. So that's why investors have the right to, to, to have that information disclosed. So I want to ask you if you think that uh, if, if investors don't find that this information is uh, transparent or if there is not enough market consensus, do you think that it will stop them uh, from investing? And how can you overcome this? Yeah, I think it's a big challenge. I think it's a big challenge in, um, you know, with the sustainability sector as a whole, you know, across you know, 
reporting standards and and uh, disclosures, um, KPIs. I think what's happening is um, you know, the investors themselves are starting to starting to they started a while ago to 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 build out significant teams within their within their companies. Um, with a focus to go and speak directly to those companies, so I think that's a way around a, a way around this inconsistency of data. Bec- rather than relying upon the inconsistencies of disclosures that companies might make, they are going to speak face to face with companies to ask the questions, to ask the challenging questions that they think are appropriate to ask, um, to be able to to make investment decisions. I think that's the. I think that's the way around it in the short term. I think also um, you know, regulation will have a role to play in maybe the short, medium term. Um, you know what that looks like. I, d- I don't. I don't know. But uh, I think it's clear that at some stage there's going to be more focus from a regulatory perspective on um, disclosures um, and and KPIs that investors can use to take a view on to take a view on sustainability. Maybe that, maybe it follows. Um, maybe it follows the credit rating world to a certain extent, um, which is which is you know heavy, heavily regulated industry, um, and there is a clear kind of guidance in terms of you know reporting standards from from a finance perspective. Um, you know that probably wasn't the case fifty years ago or hundred years ago, and so you know I, the sustainability pieces on a journey which isn't obviously as evolved as other parts um and i'm sure we'll get to a point where you know regulation plays a significant uh, significant role in the future as well it's good that you mentioned uh the different reporting styles because we see that there's a wide range of reporting styles across the globe and that there is a, it's consensual that there is an urgency for the interoperability and harmonization of standards We know, for instance, that recently the ISSB has announced that they will establish or that they have the the will to establish a global baseline. Uh, But but it's still it's still very difficult. And 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 for sure, it's very difficult for investors to to interpret all these different reporting styles. So do do you foresee that this interoperability of standards uh, for one side and this harmonization of regulation, on the other hand, is it something that will will happen soon, or we'll yeah. still have this proliferation of information uh, yeah. from different sectors and countries? I think we'd all like to say yes that it would happen soon, but I think the the honest answer is that realistically, it, you know, companies are still going to be challenged by having to comply with different types of reporting standards in in the short term it's probably going to get maybe harder for companies and investors before it starts to get um before it starts to get better um and it's not just limited to the um to the to the reporting standards i think it's also um investors put a lot of focus also on um esg scores sustainability scores and sustainability ratings um, to take views on how well a company is managing their sustainability risks, um, and there needs to be consistency in that space as well. You know, not just from a 
a reporting perspective, but also the ESG scores and ESG ratings. I was speaking to um, to a bank um, recently um, in Spain, um, and in fact, it, it's not even um, something that's unique to that this particular bank. You know, I've heard it from other clients as well that they they participate in fifteen one five um, different ESG score processes. You know, with external companies. Um, and then investors trying to look at those different, those fifteen different scores, which might be, um, which might be, which might vary significantly, um, to try and understand and take a, a, a clear view on how the company is managing its sustainability risks. Um, and I'm not sure how feasible that is in the long term, from the investor's perspective, but also from the company's perspective. You know, the company has to build out a significant team to be able to complete the different questionnaires that they need to be completing. Um, to be managing the relationships with these different ESG score providers. So I think I think we'll also see a trend in that space where maybe the 15 different ESG scores that a big, large European bank might have today will come down to four or five different scores or maybe even less, which kind of the investment community agree on are the, the right scores and metrics to be able to... Um, to comparably judge across the board how companies are, are managing their, their sustainability. So, so so it's quite varied answer, but I think, um, or certainly from what I've read um, with regards to the consolidation of, of reporting, um, yeah, I think there's, there's certain areas that they've made good progress on. There's other areas that I understand there's still quite a lot of inconsistencies. And I haven't heard anybody say that those inconsistencies can be easily resolved in the short term. So I think, I think definitely longer term, they'll, they'll be a, we'll find the right way forward. But in the short term, I think it's still quite a challenging, challenging space. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I think there, there's a, a long journey still, still ahead yeah. of us. And uh, it's great that you just mentioned ESG scores and ratings. I think there's still lack of knowledge, even in the sustainability field, uh, about what is the concept behind ESG scores. And I mean, you work for a Standard & Poor's ratings. That doesn't need introduction. So can you explain us uh, what is the rationale and the methodology that you use at S&P Ratings for to... to to build your ESG scores and 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 this uh, analysis on environmental, social, and governance practices. Yeah. yeah, you could argue that we also don't help with the um, um, with the with the complexity of the environment because we do a lot of um, we do we do different things. Okay, so it's not just a a single um, ESG score, um, and and it's part of my role to educate the market and educate our clients and investors and banks um, what each of the different kind of sustainability scores that come out of S&P Global Ratings actually means and what, it, and what it's looking at. So, you know, very, very high level, we do um, um, what we call ESG credit indicators, which fits into the, the credit rating part of what we do. So we, we rate companies from a credit perspective but we also want to give transparency to investors around what are the ESG factors that are contributing either positively or negatively to that credit rating. So that's kind of an enhanced transparency exercise where 
we include a part within our credit rating report to show to the market um, the, the, these ESG factors. Then you go to the other end of the, the spectrum. Um, we also, you know, there's a lot of companies in Spain which have a public ESG evaluation um, with S&P Global Ratings. Um, and that's much broader than simply the ESG factors that could Im- impact a credit rating. That's looking at all of the ESG factors that are relevant um, over the short, the medium, long term for um, for a particular company and its and, and the stakeholders of that that company. Um, so so dif- different different things. We're also seeing a lot of focus on um, sustainable finance at the moment, and in that regard, you might see um, S and P Global Ratings doing a second party opinion, which rather than being specific to the company is actually um, specific to a financing. Mm -hmm. Um, A company going and issuing a green bond or doing a sustainability-linked loan. Um, S&P Global Ratings does a second-party opinion to confirm to the market that that financing aligns with the uh, principles of sustainable finance to give more clarity to the market that um, and assurances to the market that it's following the best practices and that um, greenwashing isn't present. Um, and that there's more visibili- visibility to the projects that have been financed. Um, and then within S&P Global as a whole, you know, there's a whole other raft of areas where we're working with clients within our um, Sustainable One business to, um, to, to help clients, investors, banks with, um, with their sustainability challenges as well. So it's, so it's really quite broad. And, and I think um, you know, the key... The key area where we're going to see growth uh, this year, and you know, we've already seen a lot of growth, is um, is in the sustainable finance piece. You know, we've seen the, the sustainable finance markets um, you know, evolve significantly in terms of um, the the amount that is issued. Um, I think twenty twenty two, which was a which was a challenging year from a from an issuance perspective because of the markets in general. Um, over 12% of the market um, of, susta- of bonds issued was sustainable bonds, um, which you know, which is which is a big which is a big piece of the uh, which is the overall market, and we expect that to uh, to continue to to increase over the next year or two. I think that sustainable finance is definitely the a hot topic nowadays, and uh, I think that we can all agree that there has to be. Uh, um, there have to be standardized KPIs on sustainability so that I- it's easier for, from an investor's perspective to evaluate um, the, the risk of, of an investment from a sustainability standpoint. So, and, and that's the rationale behind the new European Union taxonomy <coughs> and, and, and this list that they created to consider which economic activities are considered sustainable and, and, and to give incentives to, to, to move the money towards these activities. Yep. So can you explain broadly how does the EU taxonomy work? And in your opinion, do you think it's enough to, to move the money towards uh, yep. sustainable businesses? Um, yeah, so I, I think well, the EU taxonomy is, um, I guess simply put, is a is a classification system for um, for sustainable um, for identifying projects which which are sustainable. Um, so 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 the six um, sustainability 
um, objectives within within the um, within the EU taxonomy, um, and so companies will be going through a process of demonstrating which parts of their business um, potentially align with those um, six sustainability objectives within the EU taxonomy. Um, and also from a financing perspective, from a sustainable financing perspective, um, which projects they are financing align with those um, sustainability objectives of the, um, of the EU taxonomy. Um, so, so a company going to do a, a, a financing and looking to align that with the EU taxonomy would need to demonstrate that the, um, the proceeds um, align with one of the six or more one or more of the six um, sustainability objectives, that they do no significant harm, that that particular project that they're going to finance does no significant harm to any of the other um, of, the, of the six um, sustainability objectives, and that, they, that it also complies with the, with the minimum social um, safeguards that are in place. So in, in, in theory, I, you know, it makes, makes a lot of sense that... Um, that this classification system exists and and it would make interpretation of su the sustainable finance markets um, simpler or at least that's the that's the objective um, and I think it's the right yeah it's good evolution of, of the markets you know we've as we, we mentioned before we've already seen a lot of sustainable finance um, but I think these types of classification systems will only help the um, the transparency um, and will only help the the markets grow. I guess the challenge is is what it actually looks like and what it means for companies to be able to um, to comply. So, I guess you don't want to have a a regulation which is so complex to comply with that actually it means that that companies that might have considered doing a sustainable finance activity um, no longer pursue that because they might think the costs involved in doing it are prohibitive um so i i don't s necessarily see that as being an outcome but i think it is something that's important especially you know some of the companies that are looking at sustainable finance for the first time there's a, there's a lot of established large companies that have been issuing sustainable finance um of sustainable debt for, for for a large period of time um but then there's a lot of smaller companies which are which are taking their first steps in this space um but I think it's a positive thing. I think um, I think a classification system, um, which is universally or universally across the across Europe um, used, um, intuitively makes makes a lot of sense. Um, and, I, and I think it, you know, it, it's still to be fully defined, which which is a, which is another thing. I think from a perspective of, you know, we don't yet see that many companies um, that are seeking to be aligned with the EU taxonomy for their financings because um, because it's not fully defined essentially um, but I think that will that will change over the um, over the coming months or, or year or so totally agree and it's definitely important that there is a, a systemic change so yep. uh, all the players have to be involved uh, from governments to the the, the finance sector and 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 if the money uh, uh, moves towards sustainable activities it would it will be easier for companies to have support and to change their business models and and so uh, that's that's a good thought to 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 bring you to the next question 
which is it's it's very difficult for companies, especially companies uh, for SMEs and companies that are still uh, starting their sustainability journey, mm-hmm. to um, conciliate this pressure on short-term profitability with long-term sustainability. Yeah. How can you how how can companies make this trade-off successfully? And 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 do you think that sustainability can mean profit as well? Um, yeah, it's a, it's yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think there'll be, I think there'll be periods of time where um, the the long term sustainability objectives of a company can align quite nicely with the short term profitability of a, of a company. Um, and there'll be periods where that becomes challenged based on the economic environment that the company is um, that the company is is working through. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of regions of the world will potentially move into recession during 2023. That will put a lot of pressure on the short term on companies. So potentially during that that period, potentially some of the longer term sustainability object objectives may may be delayed. They may be postponed, um, but I think that's normal through the normal business cycle. As I said, there'll be periods where there there's alignment, and there'll be periods where there'll be less less alignment. Um, so so it's it's definitely a challenge um, for for companies. Um, But I d- but I also feel as though it's that's normal. Uh, you know, I think it's normal in a period where it's, it's it's a complex economic environment. The company has to focus on the short term, the short term profitability, because it's not going to be very sustainable if it doesn't focus on its short term profitability, because it might not last be beyond two or three you know, years down the line, and then it'll be impossible to carry out the sustainability objective, the long term sustainability objectives. So, yeah, I think the two can work together, but not always, if that if that makes sense. Um, n- not always to the same extent that they might be able to in, in more favorable market conditions. And I, and I think this year will be interesting to see. I think there'll be, um, you know, there'll be, a, I think, post-COVID or, yeah, post, post the pandemic, um, Or in the the year or six months after, a lot of companies, um, you know, really spent a lot of time um, from a social perspective in terms of the, how they um, manage their employees and their rewards for employees. I think a lot of companies took a lot of steps forward, um, but will they be sustainable? Will they be able to maintain those um, those social aspects that they put in place in a challenging economic environment, which is which is the point. So I think that I think they'll um, this will, this will be an interesting year to see how how that plays out, um, and then also equally the challenges um, that we know from an energy perspective. Um, again, um, it'll be interesting to to look back on 2023 and, and see afterwards how how that longer term sustainability and short term profitability um, worked in practice. It's definitely a challenge, uh, especially for 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 countries such as Portugal or Spain that are uh, comprised of SMEs, uh, because if you are a large company and if you have to comply with uh, the non-financial director directive, and if you have resources, in-house resources, if you have a team of sustainability professionals, 
professionals is easier, right? Yeah. But if you are an SME and if you're struggling to survive and if you have a limited budget yeah. and, um, and w with the crisis, it, it, it will be difficult to, to make these choices and, and to make uh, sustainability as a priority. But uh, I think that also, on the other hand, uh, if, they, if these companies, even the SMEs, if, if, if they don't change their business models into a sustainable one, they, they will disappear eventually because uh, if they are in a supply chain of, of a larger company that has to comply with this criteria, yep. if they do a due diligence, they, they, they will be uh, 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 out of the market, let's say. So what advice would you give to SMEs uh, in Portugal or in Spain <laughs> or across, uh, across Europe especially that are starting this sustainability journey that still don't have to comply with the directive but that are starting to see that their business is becoming affected because this this uh, lack of sustainability strategy? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. And also the, the point around... Um, Yeah, supply chains and uh, and these SMEs continuing to play a role with uh, in in those supply chains um, and having to comply with sustainability to to do that. Um, I think that it, you know it starts with raising awareness internally. Um, so as you say, some of these companies won't have the scale to be able to um, to have a specific sustainability division or team or even person. But I think there can still be um, perhaps establishing a committee internally around sustainability, um, thinking about some action points that can be taken within the company, working um, externally to the extent possible. You know, obviously you mentioned that budgets can be a challenge, but I think, you know, working with consultants um, to to learn um, and take take or put in place an, a pathway to be to be taking steps in the future. Um, you know, is all is all, you know, really useful things to be able to to embed sustainability thinking within the uh, within the within the within the company um but i completely agree it's a challenge it's just it's a challenge from a budget perspective um and it kind of goes back to those earlier comments around you know companies that have have to have or have had kind of 15 different esg scores publicly You know that that needs to come down so that so that these SME companies can start to get on that ladder and and start to have their um, ESG scores as well. Um, th there's a lot of um, there's a lot of companies. I guess SME companies have probably been included more often than they potentially were in the past. That um, are invited to, um, to 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 do sustainability questionnaires um, um, where 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 they can populate data from their business um into these questionnaires um and then see a, a score from that um come out um and in 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 many cases they um there's not necessarily a fee or a cost associated with those um and so i think that's also a, a useful step for a company to take because they can s or t to start to pay attention to those because you can build up a, a knowledge base internally of of what are the questions in these types of questionnaires because that's the type of information that ultimately investors and reporting standards are, are requiring as well so they can start to 
maybe think about, okay, so this questionnaire is asking companies to report um, water usage or waste for the for the past five years of, of operating. And that SMA, SME might realize that they haven't you know, got tools in place to tr- track that metric. Um, and so they can you know, start building the, um, the thinking internally around how to, to go to the, the, next, the next level. I think that is great advice for, for all the, the SMEs that are listening to us and that are going to start their sustainability journey because there, there really has to be a, a systemic change and all companies are, are important for sustainable development. So it's important that they have the right tools and advice to, to start shifting their business model into a sustainable one. And, and in your opinion, with all these challenges uh, around sustainability in businesses, what do you think is the role of technology as a lever to sustainability? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, technology is, is obviously key for, for companies, not just from a, from a sustainability perspective, um, but it can play a significant role. It can play a significant role in, 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 in helping to potentially reduce the costs associated um, with, with some of the, the sustainability demands that, that companies have. Um, and I think that's probably... The, the key area that that it can that it can help it can it can help make things simpler internally for companies um, and it can ultimately hopefully lead to an efficient structure of being able to comply with all of the different um, future reporting standards um, current reporting standards future demands from investors future demands from stakeholders um, in a in a consistent and, and clear way without putting too much you know um too much too many restrictions on how the, how the company operates um so yeah i think there's definitely a role um and um and i think we'll see more um more startups more um tech-based companies starting to um to to be more prominent in the um in the sustainability space over the next over the next few years for sure Definitely. And if technology can serve sustainability, like making the sustainability management more efficient, companies can save time and resources and, and, and can de- dedicate themselves to, to, yeah. to make their sustainability strat- strategy more adequate and better to generate a better impact, right? Agreed, yeah. Um, that is perfect. And, and um, Martin, to finish, uh, to wrap up, we always ask uh, the same question. To our guests, who would you like to be <coughs> here interviewed at A Talks? Um, so I, um, so we, sp- yeah, I haven't got a specific name. Um, which, sorry, I haven't got a specific name, but um, we, um, you know, we speak we speak a lot to clients, to companies, um, and then today, you know, what a lot of the conversation has been kind of me sharing views on what companies say to us, and also a combination of my perspectives based on those um but i always think it's fascinating to have an actual company large or small somebody who's responsible for sustainability um to talk about how on a day-to-day how it is in what are the impacts on a day-to-day basis of of all of the things that we've discussed today so i think um get getting someone who can who can do that um 
would be would be really interesting for everybody to uh, to listen to i'm sure Perfect. We'll make sure to, to bear in mind <laughs> your suggestion for future A-talks. It was great to have you here. Thank you so much for your most valuable inputs. And for everyone who's listening, I hope you have enjoyed it and see you in the next A-talk. Bye-bye. <laughs>